from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! And a very, very warm welcome to all of our listeners today. You are listening to the latest installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, Today we are looking at a creeping trend across the United States, particularly in um, red states where they have a red governor uh, and a trio plus of um, conservative organizations and activists are working very hard to put um, anti-LGBT laws on the books. Um, there are a variety of things they're attacking, um, and we're going to get into to that, um, why, what, how, and who they are. Um, and we're going to be talking about efforts to, um, to fight this um, because they are, pla- they are taking place in places where we are, quite frankly, vulnerable. They're red states with um, conservative governors, and we don't have the same court protection we did because of Donald J. Trump um, packing the courts across the country. So a lot of things could be at risk. Um, and our special guest today, who um, is in the know on all this stuff, is um, none other than uh, Samuel Garrett Pate. Uh, he is the communications director for Equality California, and um, he is the one we turn to with the finger on the pulse on everything that is going on in this area and um, also hopefully has some vision as to what can be done to um, combat this, um, this onslaught. Um, with that, I want to bring on my illustrious journalist co-host, um, Brody Levesque. Brody, welcome to the show. Hey, good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon, good morning, and good day to our Listeners around the globe and in the U.S., we very much appreciate you. Uh, If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. On your podcast button on your mobile phone, just hit it. Type in Rated LGBT Radio, and there we are. And join us every week as we bring you content. Um, And we have uh, a guest today that uh, I've known personally for a very long period of time. I think the world of. I first met him years ago. Uh, in Washington, D.C. He worked for the Victory Fund. Uh, and uh, so Sam and I know each other for quite a while. Uh, speaking of things that kind of need to be on the radar screen, and this does directly affect uh, not only those of us in the LGBTQI plus community here in California, but in some other states as well, is uh, data collection during the COVID pandemic for LGBTQI people is still non-existent. Yeah, I, I'm not even going to use the word lacking. It's just non-existent. Uh, it was brought to my attention by State Senator Scott Weiner's office uh, yesterday that the law that was passed that Senator Weiner and Equality California had co-sponsored to get the sexual orientation and gender identity data as part of the data metrics is still horribly incomplete or not being collected and now we've got another problem we have no idea 
what's going on with vaccinations. And I'm going to read a statement that uh, came from Senator Weiner, and Scott said this. We're one year into the pandemic, and LGBTQ people continue to be erased in our public health response to COVID-19, similar to our invisibility throughout history. No government is successfully tracking COVID-19 cases in the LGBTQ community, despite a law I wrote mandating that California do so. And now we know that LGBTQ people are even more vulnerable to COVID-19. We've also just learned that the vaccination demographic data doesn't include LGBTQ data. It is simply shocking that in 2021, Progressive health agencies continue to forget about our community. And that statement was uh, given to me about an hour or two ago by Senator Weiner. Um, for our listenership, uh, this is an issue that I'm the editor of the Los Angeles Blade. Uh, the previous editor, Karen and Okamai, uh, worked very hard on this. Sam and the crew at Equality California worked very hard on this. Scott in his office did. At the time that particular law was being constructed, the only other public official in the United States collecting that kind of information and working hard to get that type of data metric was Dr. Rachel Levine, who at the time was Secretary of Health for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We're, we're in the cycle of never-ending erasure sometimes with health departments. As a result of the vaccination uh, vaccination. Uh, mess that Scott just pointed out to me. I reached out to Dr. Mark Galley, who's California's Health and Human Services Secretary. I reached out to his spouse, Dr. Christine Galley, who heads up uh, the health department shop in uh, the city of County Los Angeles, as well as Dr. Barbara Ferrer. I reached out to her. She's the director uh, of public health in the county of Los Angeles. You know, these problems need to be addressed. We know from the reporting that my reporters and I have done, from the uh, information that's been put together. I mean, just this last week, Equality California had a symposium and a press briefing, and I'll let Sam talk about that a little bit more in length, where they brought in people to talk about this very issue of how the impact of this COVID pandemic has been on our community. So, you know, it's been negative. It's just, this is, and to see this today again, I'll be honest with you, especially since I was in the midst of the fight trying to get Gavin Newsom, you know, to do the right thing uh, and and start getting the state out there and have the health department people do it. This is annoying. This is actually beyond annoying. So um, I just wanted to bring that up, Rob, before we started because yeah. I just I'm I'm still angry. Well, I can tell you anecdotally, um, having been tested for COVID three separate occasions, um, and they all came back negative, um, I was never once asked anything like that in any of those tests. And nor was anybody, and I know quite a few LGBT people who um, um, went for testing, and no one, none of them were asked. Any, any any questions that would indicate our our sexual orientation or um, gender identification? Unbelievable. Yeah, wow. Now, um, as <laughs> as Scott pointed out, and I've I've since I've actually spoken with his office. Um, uh, you know, this is unconscionable. It's bad enough that the law was passed, 
but it's just the fact that you know it's just complete and totally erased here. Now we're in the vaccine vaccination uh, process, and here's where it's really critically important. And I want to point this out to our listeners, and and again, I'll have Sam expand on this. Here's why this is so important. About a month ago, I had the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, write an op-ed for me about vaccine hesitancy, particularly among the LGBTQ people of color. Okay, We've got a problem there. It's a big problem there. And part of it is we're not sure what the vaccination ratios are going to be. So vaccine hesitancy, we need to know what the numbers are, and we need to know what's going on because we've got to be able to counter that, and we have to be able to specifically target it. And, again, I'll let Sam expound on that with what Equality California is doing because they're obviously spearheading a lot of these efforts. But what's annoying to me is that we get, you know, the mayor of the, what is it, essentially the third largest city in the United States, okay, and the city that's got, I forget, like one-third of the state's population planted in it, to be able to recognize that, yet we can't get the city governor Okay, or his health department to move off the dime and do anything, and this is a problem. And with that, and I'll, why, I'll why, you... why? Yeah, obviously there is lack of activity there. Why do you think that is? Why do you think they're they're not? I mean, it's one other data point that they could have added on, or two different data points they could have added on to the information they collected. Why haven't they done that? I, and, and that's a good point, and we can't get a straight answer out of them. I'm not, I, I mean, it's just Pardon the expression. we've asked them that, you know, why are you guys not collecting the state? It's not that difficult. We're getting the data metrics for the black community, the Latino community. We're getting it for the Asian community. But we're not getting any breakdowns for our community, and we've repeatedly asked for it. This is erasure. This is the whole thing that Scott and the LGBT caucus last year fought on, you know, and this is one of the reasons that we pushed, you know, Scott's bill was we need these, you know, these data metrics. And it's not just health metrics. We need to know how it's impacting. You know, when you look, for example, just for example, and again, you know, Sam's a little bit better versed at this than I am, but if, if you look, okay, at a model of the LGBTQ population and you start talking about, let's talk about employment, and let's talk about California's rather large gig economy, 40% of the gig economy in the state of California is made up of LGBTQ people, okay? Well, obviously, you know, obviously, we need to know what's going on. And, uh, well, anyway, I, uh, enough of me on my soapbox. Yeah. Let's bring Sam on, and let's, let's talk to Sam, well, because well, like I said, uh, yeah, let's, you know, uh, he's the expert. I'd like you to, yeah. Yeah, I'd like you to set the stage on the issues that are going on across the country, um, and then we'll bring Sam on. What What is happening um, in these state houses? And um, well, currently, uh, currently we have um, th- there's three there's three parts to this. Uh, the first part is, of course, the House passed the Equality Act, uh, which is great. Um, right now, without filibuster reform, it doesn't stand a prayer of a chance. Uh, in the U.S. Senate and getting out of the Senate to Biden's desk. That's one discussion. The second discussion, we've got the states of Tennessee, Alabama, Florida's now doing it from what Equality Florida tweeted out about an hour ago. Tennessee, North Dakota, Mississippi are all basically trying to outlaw um, 
and uh, you know trans uh, athletes in high school, secondary school, and collegiate activities. And one of the arguments which was brought up at CPAC this last weekend by none other than the former president was the fact that the, this is unfair to women and girls because they're competing against biological males. And so this has suddenly become the rapid, you know, meme. And what the what the right is doing now is they're framing the context of the argument that way, and then they're also framing it as religious freedoms, and it's the old gaze against God meme. So we've got two things at play here. And the problem with this is that with these legislatures rapidly passing this, they're doing it also in circuit court areas that are are quite frankly loaded with Trump judges. So it's gonna we're probably gonna end this we're probably gonna end up seeing all this mess eventually, you know, two or three years end up at SCOTUS. But that's essentially what's going on. They're now going after these trans kid athletes and they're doing it using pseudoscience, they're and they're just quite outright prejudice and bigotry. So that's the stage as it goes now. This would probably be eliminated in many ways if the Equality Act was, in fact, passed, because now suddenly it codifies the Title VII aspects. But So there's a problem. Right. Well, with that, let's uh, welcome uh, Samuel Garrett-Pate to the show. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. We love well, talking about know, things in front of our guests and not letting them weigh in for like an hour before we bring them on. I texted Brody that I've got thoughts. Um, no, I mean, I, I want to I just, um, you know, first, first addressing the issue around data collection and, you know, certainly could not agree more, uh, you know, Equality California could not agree more uh, with, with Senator Scott Weiner. Um, as Brody noted, we, you know, partnered with his office to uh, mandate this uh, data collection. Um, but where I want to push back is, is, is respectfully, Brody, is on the governor's position on this. Um, and I understand that, that, you know, folks in the community, Equality California included, um, were disappointed that it, it took as long as it did to require this data collection in the beginning of the pandemic. But... I disagree with the notion that the governor does not appreciate the necessity and importance of this data. Um, he did say, you know, from the beginning that he wanted the data collected. Um, he, his, before that law was even passed, which he ultimately signed, um, you know, his, his Department of uh, Public Health, you know, the California Department of Public Health um, instituted a, an emergency regulation that went into effect immediately requiring the collection of that data. So I, I don't actually believe that there is any daylight between our position, Senator Weiner's position, and the governor's position. I think the problem you have here is that it is actually a very complicated uh, system doing this testing, right? You've got the county departments of public health, some city departments of public health, right? The city of Long Beach, for instance, is in L.A. County but has its own Department of Health. Um, and then those departments of public health are often contracting out the testing, ser the testing services, right, to private companies that are doing the actual testing. Not even, and, and that's the publicly, uh, the publicly run testing 
that's not even to speak to, you know, someone who goes into their individual doctor's office, their primary care physician's office, and gets a COVID test, right? That's a whole other system. Um, and the problem is that this that the only people who can actually collect that data are the providers. So the state, since, you know, mid last year was set up to receive that information. Um, the counties, many counties have started to, you know, have, have, have moved to be set up to receive that information. But if the providers aren't collecting it uh, and, and to the point that, to the points that both of you made, right? I mean, I, I go for COVID tests weekly. Um, I still not getting asked, uh, by Curative, the, the company that the um, city of Los Angeles has contracted, they're still not asking me for my sexual orientation or gender identity. I understand that it's being collected some other places. And the problem for the state is that unless they're getting more holistic numbers, they say they can't actually release a lot of that data. All to say that none of it's acceptable, right? The, the fact that this information isn't being collected is unacceptable. The fact that it's not being collected for vaccinations, which again, I can confirm, I signed my sister up for a vaccine appointment just the other day. She uh, works for Feeding San Diego, a uh, food bank uh, in San Diego. She got her appointment. No, you know, they asked race, they asked ethnicity, they asked gender. They did not ask for sexual orientation or gender identity. So I absolutely agree 100% that this data needs to be collected. And I would associate myself with the, the comments of Senator Weiner about the fact that this is completely unacceptable that we're a year into the pandemic and it's still not being collected. The only area of disagreement is I believe that the governor is 100% with us on this issue. Unfortunately, that hasn't translated to individual providers collecting or reporting the information. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a lost cause at this point? I mean, well, is it, you know, it has the, the proverbial horses left the barn? Um, I, don't, I don't think anything's a lost cause. And, I, I, you know, I think part of the reason we passed that bill with Senator Weiner and, and the reason that he authored it, right, that, that bill doesn't just apply to COVID-19 data collection. It applies to all reportable diseases because we can never again allow this to happen where the systems right. are not already in place when a pandemic hits, Right. Any, any public health official, you know, I, I, I don't mean to come across as if I'm railing against public health officials, right? Public health officials are working days, nights, weekends, 24-7 for a year now um, to try to protect people from COVID-19. Uh, and I have immense respect for the work that they're doing. And I recognize that they're drinking from a fire hose, right? Um, and, and, and they are no longer only triaging in the emergency room. They're triaging uh, in, in terms of, of, of policy issues and, and, and work that they're doing to try to better track um, and, and monitor the spread of COVID-19. Um, so I recognize that there are a million priorities and only a limited number of people to take care of them. Our point is all that is important context, but it doesn't negate the fact that we need to I don't care that a year has gone by and we've lost all that data. I mean, I, I care in that we've, it's, it's a travesty that we've lost it, but it's not a reason to not start collecting it right now, right? COVID-19 is right. not going anywhere for at least a number of months, unfortunately. You know, sorry to break it to everyone out there listening. Uh, COVID-19 is not going away in the next few weeks. Um, and, and the information that we could collect 
um, especially on vaccines, right, where, where still only a fraction of, of the population has been vaccinated, um, the information that we could collect, even just starting tomorrow through the end of the pandemic, would be invaluable information. But mostly it's that we need to get these systems in place so that this never, ever, ever happens again in the future. Right. And will the, is the network of providers giving the vaccine the same network that was doing the testing? Aren't these like even different entities um, I, that would be yeah, collecting I mean, data? I, I'm sure I'm sure there's some overlap in certain places. You know, everywhere's doing this differently, right? Um, but, you know, I mean, there are CVS and Walgreens pharmacies that are, are giving out the vaccine, but there are also the, you know, the, the super centers being uh, operated by um, either the state government or in some cases, local governments, in some cases, federal state partnerships, right? Um, that's just in California. If you go anywhere else in the United States, right? Like it, there's a patchwork of how it's being distributed. And, and ultimately that is, that is the problem, right? It's why we can't do anything fast. Um, now, I mean, it's, it's always a, a tricky issue, right, in terms of how we um, sort of devolve power and operations and systems in this country. Because, you know, when you do get someone like Donald Trump in power, we actually benefit from the fact that, that uh, it's hard to do anything fast um, when, when everything's, you know, the power is shared among the local, county, state, and federal governments, Right. Um, Donald Trump couldn't just walk into office and order whatever he wanted because there are powers that states and local governments have that, like it or not, he didn't have. So while, yes, I wish that you know, President Biden or Governor Newsom could snap their fingers and tomorrow we'd be collecting all this data, I'd be scared of, of the impact of that amount of power uh, in the wrong hand. Right. Yeah. Now, Brody mentioned the need to have this data, um, particularly with um, some different populations that are reluctant on the vaccines and so that things can be addressed appropriately um, and education put out in the right places. Um, do you want to fill in some of the gaps on that? What, what are your thoughts on why do we need that data? Sorry, I, I, I'm just trying to make sure I, I understand the, the question correctly. What um, Brody had alluded to some some pockets of concern on why understanding this data is critically important, and I was just wondering if you had other other areas. What what um, you know? Once sure. we if they did did step to it, got the data. What what would be the first areas we would look at in in terms of need and where we suspect there are issues. Sure. Well, because we're not collecting it, um, you know, at, at, at the testing sites, the providers aren't collecting it, um, you know, certainly not on a, on a wide scale. Uh, there are private research institutions that have had to fill in the gaps, right? Um, the, and, the, and there's the CDC that has had to fill in the gaps. Um, so both the CDC and the Williams Institute, which is an LGBTQ research uh, entity, housed at UCLA School of Law, um, both the Williams Institute and the CDC have now put out reports showing or confirming what we had suspected at the beginning of the pandemic, which was because of the underlying health 
disparities that LGBTQ people face, right? To say nothing of, of, of discrimination, but we know that LGBTQ women have higher rates of certain types of cancer, right? Um, we know that trans people uh, have much higher rates of HIV. We know that, you know, disproportionately LGBTQ people of color have much higher rates of, of HIV, especially uh, LGBTQ women of color. Um, and, 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 and beyond just that, right, there are broad health disparities that the LGBTQ community faces in terms of uh, higher rates of smoking and, and tobacco use, higher rates of homelessness, right? All of those disparities make us more vulnerable to contracting COVID-19, but then also make us more vulnerable to the worst health outcomes and impacts, right? Those comorbidities uh, that we have as a community um, at a disproportionate rate make us that much more vulnerable to having severe cases of COVID and from ultimately, unfortunately, death. So we suspected this from the beginning of the pandemic because we knew that those underlying health disparities were there, but we didn't have any data to point to. And thanks to the Williams Institute, we, we do now actually have data that confirms our fears, um, showing that LGBTQ people, especially LGBTQ people of color, reported testing positive for HIV at multiples of the rates of non-LGBTQ white people, right? Um, so we know that those disparities are real. We know that they make us more vulnerable to the crisis. But if we had the if we had more comprehensive data, we'd have a better sense of how to, how to address those problems. Um, and if we'd had this data, you know, weeks into the pandemic, months into the pandemic, instead of where we are now, where we, we finally got it from the Williams Institute and CDC because they stepped in because p providers weren't collecting it, we're getting it a year in. Imagine what we could have done back when, you know, we were talking about cases in the in the thousands, right, and, 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 and deaths in the tens of thousands instead of now hundreds of thousands. So right. it's really important. We could have saved lives if we'd had this information. I have no doubt about that fact. Well, um, Sam, I want to shift this over to um, the other thing that we really want to talk about, which is the this um, – I'm, I'm calling it a creep because it's coming up from all different angles, particularly in red states um, where these anti-LGBTQ organizations, and by anti, I mean that is, in many cases, their sole purpose of existing, um, are putting forth legislation and inspiring legislation. Um, what, what are you hearing about all that, and how is that being orchestrated? Well, it's being orchestrated by, you know, the same far-right anti-LGBTQ extremists who were organizing opposition to marriage, right? I mean, we've been here before as a community um, where the far-right uh, uses our civil rights um, as a political wedge issue, right? They, they, they use us, humans, people. They use us and our human rights to drive out their voters. Um, to get their voters angry about elected officials who support our community, right? Um, they're using us as a political ping pong ball. Unfortunately, now it's not only, you know, that now that marriage has passed and, 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 and some basic civil rights protect, I mean, certainly we need the Equality Act, uh, but, you know, a, a, an overwhelming majority of Americans 
support the Equality Act. So they can't go out and say, you know, on its face, allowing or uh, prohibiting discrimination against LGBTQ people. That's a terrible idea. They can't say that anymore because it's just a politically untenable position. But what they can say and what they are saying and what they're doing to try to energize their base is going to Republican state legislatures across the country, as Brody said, and saying that, oh, you know, these poor girls in women's sports in school can't compete because of trans like student athletes, right? So not only are they using the trans community now as this political football, um, but they're using trans kids. They're going after kids. These are, I mean, I, I would point to the Republican governor of Utah who was delivered one of these bills for his signature. And as a conservative Republican in, a, in the state of Utah, felt that he could not sign it and gave a very emotional press conference where he said, until you spend time with these kids, with trans kids, with their families, and really understand how these pol- policy battles impact their lives, until you've spent that time, you just can't understand the, the really terrible, terrible impact that these decisions, that these, uh, these awful laws that they're proposing in, in, in red states across the country have on these kids. Yeah, no, it, and you're, you're bringing up a great point because that is what they're doing. They're, they're trying to pick the, um, you know, a target um, and, and use them just like they did with us with marriage equality, um, and, and that, that's really evident. They, um, I guess one of the things that I find a little bit confusing is in their orchestration of all this, it seems a little bit uneven that the bills that are coming forth are, uh, in some places they're going after trans athletes, other places they're going after trans families. Um, South Dakota just passed or is, uh, has one in progress that is just simply religious freedom. Um, what is there, is there, is there a point or, or a a methodology that they're, they're trying to incorporate in all these, or is it just simply they're throwing something against each wall and hoping to see what sticks? They're, they're throwing, you know, red meat to their base, right? They're trying to get them energized and, and any issue that will energize them, uh, they're willing to use no matter the damage to the people they harm in the, in the process, right? No matter the scale of the emotional damage that these laws have. And and you're right. They're not just bills targeting trans kids in schools. Um, We've seen states introduce bills that would um, criminalize uh, transgender health, the provision of transgender health care, gender affirming care to children. We've seen states, you know, coming back with the bathroom issue, um, using these completely false, completely horrible, um, you know, lies about trans people um, being predators. I mean, it, it, it is the, the exact same thing that we, we see, uh, you know, with, with the tropes about gay men being predators and being perverts and, 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 and somehow uh, a threat to our communities, right? That's largely though not completely, largely receded into the background, and they've found a new target, and it's trans people. And so you have an incredibly marginalized community already, right? 
that faces discrimination in, in virtually every sector, um, that faces violence. I mean, the, the ongoing epidemic of violence against the trans community, especially trans women of color, especially black trans women. Um, and they go find the most marginal, one of the most marginalized communities in our country, and they say, that's our target. That's how we're going to rev up our base. It, it's just, it's, uh, it's really, really disgusting the way that they would use people in this way and take advantage of the pain that they are causing to people, right? This is not a political issue. This is an issue of people. Right. Um, it, it's, it's awful. Yeah, and and I mean, you're, I'm I'm really resonating with your point because, in you know, in the marriage equality, they went, uh, you know, targeted gay couples, gay parents. You know, it's like it, you know, the, you know, that was what was questioned, you know, where they they were li- literally vilifying us in our lives um, to to try to win their political point. Um, I want to ask you about. Because we mentioned the usual um, group of, of suspects that are behind this, the Heritage Foundation, Alliance for Defending Freedom, the Eagle Forum, et cetera. And I want to ask you about one other one, though, that I think has, has complicated the public discussion of this, and that's the log cabin Republicans. Um, with the, this poisonous um, memo or letter that they put out um, against the um, uh, equality bill in Congress, they seem to have taken a step into anti-trans territory that we have not even seen from them uh, departing from the other LGBT advocate organizations in the past. I mean, when marriage equality was there, you know, I I mean, I I would, I would push, I would push back on, on uh, the, the description of them as an LGBTQ advocacy organization. They are not. They are absolutely not. Any organization okay. that would argue against the civil rights of not just the T and the Q in, in LGBTQ, but also the L, the G, and the B, right? Um, this is an organization that endorsed Donald Trump, a person who, who, between him and his administration, they basically woke up every day and thought, how else can we hurt trans people today? And this is an organization that went out and endorsed that, wanted that for four more years. Absolutely not an LGBTQ advocacy organization. Any organization that would oppose the civil rights of the LGBTQ community and then try to claim the mantle of being in any way advocates for our community, I mean, it's just completely false. They're not an LGBTQ advocacy organization. Right. Is there... Is there any effort to communicate with them from the other organizations at all to basically say, you know, I mean, because they're, they're whatever they claim to be. And I, I hear your point that, that they're, you know, they've lost the plot, basically. Um, but what are they for? I mean, you know, if, if they are, if they are, to your point, against the G, the L, the B, the T, and the Q, who are they supposed to be for? Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, I, I say it sort of tongue-in-cheek, but not really, right? I mean, it's not even a step into anti-trans territory. They took a giant leap 
uh, years ago, um, and they've stayed there. I mean, I, look, I, I don't think there's been a whole lot of communication because I think any reasonable LGBT Republican, and there are some, has left the log cabin Republicans because they've gone totally Trump. Um, and so I, I don't think that there are particularly reasonable people left associated with the log cabin Republicans to talk to. Um, and I, I, I want to be really clear here because Equality California is a nonpartisan organization. Um, I am not talking about LGBTQ Republicans, of which, as I said, there are many, um, and there are there are some who are who are very reasonable and, and uh, support LGBTQ equality, but differ in views on on certain other issues. Um, I, in no way am I attacking them. I am saying that that particular organization has no reasonable people left in it, and that all they have done in recent years is find any way that they can undermine the arguments that LGBTQ advocates are making about why we deserve the same civil rights as every other American, and they come out and they, 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 they undermine it by saying, well, we're gay and we don't agree. They have not advanced a single pro-LGBTQ policy ever in the history of the organization uh, since, since they came out full-throated for Donald Trump. Every reasonable member of the organization left at that time, and, and they are just left as a bunch of Trump advocates who are looking for ways to undermine the rest of the community. And that's really unfortunate, but I don't think there's any reason to reach out to that particular organization. Right. Um, yeah. I, and I hear your point. The thing that you said, though, that in, in all of their many sins, which you're completely accurate on, is the one that I think is where they actually do the damage which is for the general public, they come out and, and identify themselves as basically the gay people who don't support transgender rights, which then... Absolutely. I, I, that is the most yeah. damaging thing they do. And I, I, I want to clarify something I said before. When I was talking about in the history of the organization, uh, I, I, I misspoke, right? Um, it, it is in the history of the organization since they transformed from a Republican LGBTQ group into a pro-Trump organization of which many of them are gay, right? Um, right. I, I remember working with log cabin Republicans on bills like ENDA, on bills like the Safe Schools Improvement Act, uh, which would, would help address anti-LGBTQ bullying in our schools, right? They did actually used to work on those issues and go to – moderate Republicans like Senator Susan Collins um, and, and, and work on bringing them along on LGBTQ issues. But that is the log cabin Republicans of yesterday and certainly not the log cabin Republicans of today. Right, right. Brody? I very much agree with that. I think that the biggest problem with them that was the best illustration of just how far gone they are, as Sam just pointed out, was when Representative Jim Jordan uh, of Ohio, who is a vehement anti-LGBT person, read a statement by the Law Cabin Republicans into the congressional record while they were debating the Equality Act in the U.S. House. And it was ugly. I'm not even going to bother repeating any of it. It was just ugly. Like Sam, 
I I know Republicans. Uh, one of whom I have no I have no compulsion not to mention, but publicly, and that's Fred Carter. And and you know, Fred and I don't necessarily always see eye to eye on a lot of policy issues, particularly along economic things, government structure. But when it comes down to LGBTQ rights, Fred has been a powerhouse uh, during the Prop Eight days. He was relentless. His, his his constant nonstop battling with the Mormon Church has been, you know, yeoman work. So I mean, there are, as Sam said, there are some, you know, LGBTQ Republicans, but you know, you can't compare them to the organization as it exists today, or the people that comprise the organization today. I mean, they're just—I'm sorry—they're as nutty as that idiot representative from North Georgia. What's her name? Marjorie QAnon Green. I mean, they're right up there with her. Or Dick Grinnell, the former ambassador to Germany, who was a Trumpite, you know, who's, you know, it's just a, there's a parade of these people. Um, the problem is, and, and this is what Sam said, and, and, and you said it, and I'll reemphasize it to our listeners. Politics is the art of perception. And persuasion. I was told that many years ago by then House Speaker Tip O'Neill when I interviewed him. And the thing is that when it comes down to trans issues in particular, uh, particular, I'm sorry, this is something that we have to focus on. And when you have these states running around doing these things based on completely wrong information or or weaponizing religious faith, which is what they're doing with this religious freedom nonsense. Or pseudoscience with the, you know, the biological male argument. Like I said last weekend, Trump himself used that line at CPAC. This is the type of thing that we've really got to work towards. And it's becoming a legislative pylon. And what's happened is these people that are putting this legislation out and the messaging that they're putting out there is because they think it's the only way they can do it. And the trans community is a soft target. And that's really where the community's got to pull together, and we've got to make sure that we blood the trans communities in these red states and let them know they do have the support, you know, from places like, well, California, for example. You know, we need to make sure that they understand that, or as Bryn Tannehill, who's been a guest of our show numerous times and writes op-ed pieces for me at the Los Angeles Blade, will tell you, we're going to see a whole rash of trans kids killing themselves. It's really that simple, you know. Right. And it's really that's where the tragedy is. Sam? And cer- cer- certainly for any uh, trans kids who are uh, listening, potentially, uh, would certainly urge you, you know, there are organizations like the Trevor Project, there's the Trans Lifeline. Um, there are resources out there uh, because we do know that from research um, that there is a real – even if these bills aren't enacted, the very debate over the human rights of a community has a real devastating impact on the mental health of, of the community that, you know, whose rights are being debated. Um, it was true about, you know, the, the broader community and, and gay and lesbian and bisexual people when the marriage debates were happening. Um, and it has increasingly been true in recent years around the trans community, it ta- even if these bills don't pass, the very debate about the humanity of trans people has a devastating impact on the mental health of trans people. Um, and especially when you're talking about kids, 
you know, but again, how surprised are we? I mean, this is these are the same people who defended Donald Trump's uh, the Trump administration's policy of locking kids in cages at the border. Right. These are people who are willing to use the pain and suffering of children to advance their own political agenda. And whether it's Rick Grinnell or the log cabin Republicans or Donald Trump himself, it's disgusting. It's hateful. And it's got to stop. Um, one of the things that has proven powerful in the past to offset um, particularly uh, anti-trans legislation and um, some of the insanity that, that has come up before, and you mentioned it before, Sam, about the bathroom bill, was um, actually the high-tech and um, corporate community coming together and literally telling states that pass those kind of laws that there is going to be an economic impact, that, that those companies cannot in good conscience operate in their states that will hurt their economies, et cetera. Is there any kind of organization going on to try to get that kind of coalition um, to fight this, this current wave of, of uh, legislation? Yeah, there, there certainly is. Um, you know, I know that the, those conversations are ongoing. That work is ongoing. Um, I would note that California actually has a law um, banning state-funded travel to states that discriminate against members of the LGBTQ community, including any state um, that, that passes one of these bills. Um, so, you know, I mean, there, are, there is work being done to impose economic consequences on states that violate the human rights of the LGBTQ community. Um, whether it's private corporations doing it or states like California, um, you know, I, I think that, as Brody talked about earlier, we need to pass the Equality Act um, in order to have federal law that will preempt some of these state laws saying, no, in, in fact, you cannot discriminate against whether it's transgender students um, or transgender kids or trans people just trying to access public accommodations, right? Um, and, and so it is incredibly important incredibly important that the Senate pass the Equality Act and get it onto the president's desk. And if that means that the Senate needs to reform the filibuster, then the Senate needs to reform the filibuster. Yeah. Um, 100%. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, what we mentioned it before, both Brody and I did um, talk about it um, in the intro, but I want to get your take on, you know, should these things pass in these different states? and they head to courts. Um, has Equality California looked at kind of the, the judicial map as it stands right now as to what is likely to succeed and where it's not likely to based on the Trump packing the courts? Well, I, you know, I, I can say this, that we uh, um, you know, are working in partnership with organizations like LGBTQ Victory Institute um, to advance the names of qualified LGBTQ people who could be nominated by the Biden administration to serve on federal courts. I mean, it is true that the Trump administration did grave damage to our courts by packing them with unqualified, radical extremists um, who, who, and, you know, I don't use those words lightly, but I'm, I'm dead serious. I mean, they, the president Trump didn't just nominate qualified people with whom I have disagreements. President Trump nominated completely unqualified 
anti-LGBT extremists to the federal bench. Um, but, you know, additional come open, um, and the Biden administration certainly has an opportunity um, to nominate new, new judges. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, like Victory Institute, we would love to see the Biden administration prioritize nominating LG- members of the LGBTQ community uh, to federal judgeships. I know it's something that they that they they want to do and are, are looking to do, um, but but it is a, it is a real concern, right? And 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 I think that's why you have some people uh, in the in the community um, and on the progressive side uh, who have started to advocate for expanding the number of federal judgeships that there are. Um, or even potentially expanding the number of seats there are on the Supreme Court. Um, and, 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 you know, those are important conversations to have, right? Not just because of the fact that uh, w- even as our population has grown, uh, w- the Congress has not expanded the number um, of, of district courts and circuit courts in, in many, many years. So there is work to be done in terms of judicial reform. Um, you know, I think that you will see that start to advance. But I think of incredible importance to the LGBTQ community. The Senate has to pass the Equality Act. And if that means reforming the fil- I'm going to say it again, if that means reforming the filibuster, then the Senate has to reform the filibuster. To senators who have resisted calls to reform the filibuster, which, by the way, is a, a, a the modern filibuster so started being used during the Jim Crow era to oppose civil rights, right? Um, this is not new, the use of the filibuster to block civil rights legislation. Um, in fact, the, the Equality Act seeks to amend, uh, among some laws, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and the, filib- the modern filibuster was used to almost block that from ever becoming law. Um, and it's being used that way again. And so to moderate Democrat- Democratic senators who don't, support reforming the filibuster, I would remind them that there are no voters out there who are passionately supportive of the filibuster. There are voters out there who helped elect them and their colleagues, who helped deliver the Senate to the Democrats, who helped deliver the White House to the Democrats, who support common sense gun safety reforms, who support the Equality Act, who support immigration reform, who support meaningful action to address climate change, and the list goes on, right? And at the end of this Congress, those people who voted for Democrats will judge those in office based on what they got done. And if your argument is, yeah, sorry, we couldn't get any of that done, but hey, we kept the filibuster in place, I think you're going to have trouble getting reelected. Mm-hmm. How what, how is that split right now? How many how many senators are? I mean, are there a few holdouts or is, you know? Oh no, we have the party. How many? We have, no, we have two problem children, and I'll call them out: Senator Kristen Sienna of Arizona and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Those are the two right there. And here is your little bit of irony to go with it. Okay, the gentlewoman from Arizona also happens to be a member of our community. She's openly bi. Of any United States senator that should have a clue on why the Equality Act is so important and why we should have filibuster reform, it would be the good lady from Arizona. 
And where is she standing on this? She's announced no reform. Same with Madsen. To be clear, she supports the Equality Act. She opposes filibuster reform. I'll say this. I, you know, had the opportunity when I worked on Capitol Hill to interact with um, then Congresswoman Sinema, now Senator Sinema, on many occasions. um, And and I think she's one of the smartest and most strategic people I've ever met in my life. And while I strongly disagree with her on the issue of filibuster reform, I'm certainly hopeful that she will come around on that issue. Um, So we're a little bit in a bubble here in California in terms of, you know, we don't have anti-trans stuff creeping up in our, our legislature, et cetera, et cetera. What can Californians do to affect this happening in other places in the country? Well, certainly if you've got friends or family in Tennessee or Georgia or any of the states that you named earlier um, that are, you know, Florida that are, are moving on these, you need to reach, even if you're in California, you need to reach out to your friends and family in those states and tell them that they've got to contact their state legislators um, and make clear how unacceptably harmful these laws would be. Um, there, there is work that any of us can do, regardless of where we live, to help protect the trans community from these vicious attacks. Um, and so, you know, would certainly encourage anyone uh, who lives in California to reach out to friends and family members in those other states um, and make sure that they know that this is going on, that their elected representatives are voting on this issue, and the harm that these laws would have on kids. I mean, I can't underscore that enough. We're talking about kids. Not that the violation of anyone's civil rights is okay, but we're talking about attacks against trans kids. No, definitely. I'm going to uh, um, I'm going to give a quote from uh, the American Civil Liberties Union's uh, lead counsel on trans rights. He's a trans man himself. I happen to know him. Uh, his name is uh, Chase Strangio. He's from ACLU National. Um, Brandon Wolpert, uh, communications director for Quality Florida, quoted him in a tweet uh, about an hour ago and quoting Chase. This is not about sports. It's a way to attack trans people. And as we've heard Sam so eloquently state that over and over again, in a quality Florida's case, and I'll give a shout out to um, Nadine and uh, Brandon and the crew at Equality Florida. They've got three bills that have now been filed uh, in Tallahassee trying to deny trans kids the lessons in teamwork, leadership, and belonging that they would get from these teams. And What's even more shocking, or not maybe unsurprising to me as a political reporter, is that you talk to the legislators in Florida and these other states, there's like 20 of them that are doing these bills this year, not a single one of them, not a single one of them, okay, can cite a local example of a trans girl on an athletic team. I, well, of course, but I, I do want to be I do want to be clear though that trans girls are girls. So whether they can cite an example or not, to me, doesn't make a huge difference. In that, of course, trans girls should be able to to compete in sports with other girls because they're girls. Right. I mean, I I, I just 
to, to every Republican lawmaker out there who suddenly woke up one day and decided that women's sports is their number one priority, certainly never heard it before, but apparently it is now their number one priority, I would say that in denying the ability of trans kids to participate in sports, to deny trans girls the opportunity to participate in girls' sports, you are not protecting girls' sports. You are hurting female athletes. So whatever they think that they're doing uh, is really the opposite. And if they actually care about women's sports, if they actually care about the opportunity of young girls to participate in sports, then they've got a real messed up way that they think they're doing that. Yeah, definitely. Well, we are literally running out of time here. Um, Sam, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and um, talking about this. And, um, you know, it's super, super, super important. Um, uh, what, what final words of anybody who wants to get involved in this um, can you give us? Yeah, well, they can go to www.eqca.org or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at EQCA. Um, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Equality California. Um, you know, we are the nation's largest statewide LGBTQ plus civil rights organization. Uh, our work does not stop at our borders. We work with our partners like Equality Florida, like other state equality groups all across the country to advance legislation in their states. We have an office in Washington, D.C., uh, and we have an affiliate in Nevada. So regardless of whether you're in California or out of California, we would welcome anyone's enthusiasm, support, uh, and would love for folks to get involved. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for your passion. Um, it is so deeply, deeply appreciated. I want to thank Brody for his work, his journalistic work, as well as work on the show, um, you know, invaluable. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in each week. Uh, we appreciate you, and we will be back here again next week with a very, very important topic, um, and I'll let you know what it is when we think of it, but it will be important, and we want you to hear about it. So stay tuned to us next week. Uh, we will be back, and until then, be safe, be vigilant, and fight for equality, and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.